Book One, Chapter Eight of the Mystical City of God, Volume Three, by the Venerable Sister Mary of Jesus of Agreda. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Book One, Chapter Eight: How Our Great Queen Practiced the Teachings of the Gospel as Taught Her by Her Most Holy Son. Our Redeemer advanced in age and divine activity, leaving behind him the years of his boyhood and fulfilling the task imposed upon him by his eternal Father for the benefit of mankind. He did not engage in the work of preaching, nor did he perform at that time such open miracles as afterwards in Galilee or before in Egypt, but under the cover of secrecy he produced great effects in the souls and bodies of men. He visited the poor and infirm, he consoled the afflicted and sorrowful. By special enlightenment and holy inspirations, he led many souls to the way of salvation, inducing them to turn to their creator and to withdraw from the devil and the works of death. These labors were continuous, and he was frequently absent from the house of the Blessed Virgin. Although the persons thus assisted were aware that they were moved and converted by the words and the presence of Jesus, yet as they were left in ignorance of the mystery of his assistance and could ascribe it only to the agency of God himself, they did not speak about it. The great lady learned of these wonders by seeing them reflected in the most holy soul of her son and by other means, and she adored him and gave him thanks for them prostrate at his feet. The rest of the time her most holy son passed with his mother, instructing her and engaging with her in prayer. He spoke to her of his solicitude for his cherished flock, of the merits which he wished to accumulate for the benefit of souls, and of the means to be applied for their salvation. The most prudent mother listened to all his words, and cooperated with his divine love and wisdom, assisting him in his office of father, brother, friend, teacher, advocate, protector, and redeemer of the human race. These conferences they held either by conversation or by interior communications, for in both ways, the son and the mother could hold converse with each other. Her most holy son would say, My mother, the fruit of my works and the foundation upon which I wish to build the church is to be a doctrine founded in holy science, which, if believed and followed, shall be the life and salvation of men, an efficacious and holy law, which shall be capable of destroying the deathly poison of Lucifer, instilled by the first sin. I wish that men, by means of my precepts and counsels, become spiritualized and exalted to a participation and likeness of myself, and that they, in their mortal flesh, become depositaries of my riches, and afterwards, participators of my eternal glory." I wish to give them the law of Moses, so renewed and improved, that it shall contain also the precepts and counsels. All these intentions of the Master of Life, his heavenly mother understood with profoundest insight and accepted with ardent love, reverencing and thanking him in the name of all the human race. And as the Lord proceeded in all his instructions, she understood more and more fully the efficacy of all these sacraments, the powerful influence of the evangelical law and doctrine in obedient souls, and the reward attached to it. And she labored in its practical fulfillment, as if she were the representative of each one of the creatures. She knew all the four gospels word for word as they were to be written, and all the mysteries which were to be contained therein. She of herself understood all the teachings of the gospels, for her knowledge was greater than that of its authors. She could have explained them without having seen the text. 
she knew also that her knowledge was to be copied from that of Christ, engraved on her soul, as was the law of the Old Testament, on the tablets in the ark. Her knowledge was to serve as the original, legitimate and veracious manuscript of the new law of grace, for the guidance of the saints and the just, for all of them were to copy the virtues and the holiness contained in this archive of grace, most holy Mary. Her divine teacher also instructed her in her obligation of practicing this holy doctrine in its entirety, so that the high purposes, which she had in view in making her partake in such exalted blessings and favors, might be attained. If we were to relate here how fully and exquisitely the great queen corresponded with his designs, it would be necessary to describe her whole life in this chapter, for it was a complete summary of the gospel, copied from her own son and teacher. All that this holy doctrine has effected in the apostles, martyrs, confessors, virgins, and in all the just and the saints, which have lived and shall live to the end of the world, could not be described, much less understood, except by the Lord himself. Yet we must consider that all the saints and the just were conceived in sin, and all of them placed some hindrance to grace. All of them could have attained higher grace and holiness, and fell short in their correspondence with grace. But our heavenly lady had no such defects or failings. She alone was material adequately disposed and adapted for the powerful activities of God and his blessings. She was the one who, without embarrassment and without opposition, received the impetuous torrent of the divinity communicated to her by her own Son and God. From all this we may understand that only in the beatific vision and in eternal felicity we shall be able to estimate how much was due to this wonder of his omnipotence. Whenever I wish to explain some of the more important things manifested to me in this matter, I am at a loss what terms to use. For our great queen and lady observed the precept and doctrines of the gospel according to the measure of her profound understanding of them, and no creature is capable of reaching the limits of the science and intelligence of the mother of wisdom in these teachings of Christ. Moreover, that which is understood of it exceeds the capacity of human words and speech. Let us take for an example the doctrine of that first sermon, which the teacher of life gave on the mountain to his disciples, and which is recorded by St. Matthew. Matthew chapter 5 verse 1. In it is contained the sum of Christian perfection, on which the church is founded, and which makes those blessed that observe them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, says our Lord and teacher, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This was the first and solid foundation of all evangelical life, although the apostles and our holy father, St. Francis, understood it in a most exalted manner, yet Mary alone penetrated and fully weighed the greatness of this poverty in spirit, and just as she understood it, so she practiced it to its last limits. Into her heart the image of temporal riches found no entrance, nor did she feel the inclination toward them. But, while loving created things as the handiwork of the Lord, she at the same time detested them in so far as they were a hindrance or a burden to the love of God. She made use of them in moderation, and only in so far as they were useful toward divine love. This admirable and most perfect poverty entitled her to possess all things as queen of heaven and earth. What I have said here in regard to poverty, though strictly true, is but little in comparison to what our great lady really understood and practiced in regard to this poverty of spirit, the first beatitude. 
The second beatitude is, Blessed are the meek, for they shall possess the earth. By her sweetest meekness, the Most Holy Mary excelled in the practice of this beatitude, not only over all mortals, just as Moses excelled all men of his time, but she surpassed the angels and seraphim themselves. For this sincerest dove, being yet in mortal flesh, was interiorly and exteriorly no more exposed to disturbance and excitement of her faculties than these pure spirits who are not endowed with senses. In such an unlimited degree was she mistress of all her bodily faculties and powers, as well as of the hearts of all with whom she had intercourse, that she possessed the earth in every day and reduced it to peaceful subjection. The third beatitude is, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. The Most Holy Mary understood, more than any tongue can explain, the value and excellence of tears, and at the same time, the foolishness and danger of laughter and human enjoyment. For while all the children of Adam, though they are conceived in original sin, and afterwards incur many other actual sins, give themselves over to laughter and gaiety, this heavenly mother, being without sin at her conception and ever after, was aware that this mortal life should be consumed in weeping over the absence of the supreme good and over the sins which have been and are committed against God. For the sake of all men, she wept over their sins and merited by her most innocent tears the great consolations and favors of the Lord. Her most pure heart was in continual distress at the sight of the offenses committed against her beloved and her God. Her eyes distilled incessant tears. Jeremiah chapter 9 verse 1 And her bread, day and night, was to weep over the ingratitude of sinners toward their Creator and Redeemer. Psalm 41 verse 4 No creatures, not all of them together, wept more than the Queen of Angels, though for men, on account of their sins, there is abundant cause of wailing and weeping, while in her there was cause only for joy and delight, on account of her treasures of grace. The fourth beatitude, Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after justice, for they shall have their fill. Helped our Heavenly Lady to enter into the understanding of this mysterious hunger and thirst. In her, this hunger and thirst for justice was greater than all the disgust ever entertained against it by the enemies of God. Having arrived at the pinnacle of justice and sanctity, her desire for it increased in proportion, while the plentitude of graces poured out upon her in a continual stream from the treasury of the divinity, satiated her longing desires. As for the fifth beatitude, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. She possessed it in such a high degree that she alone deserved to be called the mother of mercy, just as the Lord alone is called the father of mercies. Second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 1, verse 3. She, who was most innocent and without any fault in the eyes of God, exercised mercy in its highest degree for the benefit and for the salvation of the human race. As she knew by her exalted science the excellence of this virtue, she never denied and never will deny mercy to anyone, whoever may ask, nor will she ever cease to seek out and hasten to the relief of the poor and needy in order to offer them her assistance. Without calm peer, she was also in the exercise of the sixth beatitude. Blessed are the clean of heart, for they shall see God. For she was elect as the sun. Canticles chapter 6 verse 9. 
a true imitator of the real sun of justice and an image of our material sun which is not defiled by things beneath it into the heart and mind of our most pure princess no touch of defilement has ever found entrance on the contrary defilement was made impossible in her on account of the exquisite purity of her thoughts and because from the first moment of her existence and many times afterwards she was favored with the vision of the divinity although being yet in a state of pilgrimage these visions were not continual the seventh beatitude blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of god was conferred upon her in admirable measure she stood in need of this blessing in order to preserve the peace of her heart and of her faculties in the trials and tribulations of her life and in the passion and death of her most holy son never was she inordinately disturbed and she knew how to accept the greatest sufferings with supreme peace of mind being in all things a perfect daughter of the heavenly father yea it was especially by the practice of this beatitude that she deserved to be called the daughter of the eternal father in the eighth beatitude blessed are they that suffer persecution for justice sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven mary reached the pinnacle of perfection for she alone besides god was capable of bearing with equanimity the sacrifice of the life and honor of christ our lord and the atrociousness with which it was consummated for we must remember that she was the true mother as god was the true father of his only begotten this lady alone imitated the lord in his passion and understood fully that to such extremes must be executed the law of her divine teacher in the gospels in this manner i am able to explain part of what i have understood of the knowledge of the gospel possessed and put into practice by this great lady in the same way she comprehended the evangelical precepts counsels and parables of the gospel as for instance the precepts of loving enemies pardoning injuries doing good works in secret and without vainglory avoiding hypocrisy the counsels of perfection and the teachings contained in the parables of the recovered treasures the lost pearl the virgins the seeds scattered on the ground the talents and all other parables of the four gospels all of them she understood together with the doctrines they inculcate and the high ends which the master had in view she knew all things in the most holy and perfect manner and thus she also accomplished them to the last point of this lady we can say what christ said of himself that she came not to abrogate the law but to fulfill it instruction vouchsafe me by the queen of heaven most holy mary my daughter it was proper that the teacher of virtue should make known to us what he did and that he should fulfill what he taught for both word and action belong to the office of teaching the words should instruct while the example should move and give witness to the teaching in order that it may be accepted and practiced all this was fulfilled by my most holy son and by me in imitation of him matthew chapter 5 verse 9 as neither he nor I was to remain always upon this earth, he wished to leave behind him the holy gospels as a summary of his life and of mine, in order that the children of the light, by believing and practicing its teachings, might regulate their lives in imitation of his. For in it, the practical results of the teachings of Christ are exhibited, such as they brought forth in me by imitating him of great value are the sacred gospels and for this reason thou must look upon them with utmost veneration 
I call thy attention to the fact that my most holy son and I are much honored and pleased to see the divine sayings and the doings of his life properly esteemed and respected among men. On the other hand, the Lord considers the forgetting and the neglecting of the doctrines contained in the Gospels a great injury done to him by the children of the church in our times. For there are many who do not listen or attend to them, who give no thanks for this blessing, and who make no more of them than if they were pagan writings, or if they did not contain in them the light of faith. Thy debt is great in this regard, for thou hast received insight into the veneration and esteem in which I held the evangelical doctrines, and thou wast made aware how I labored in order to put them into practice. Thou hast not been able to learn all of what I practiced and understood, as thy capacity is too limited. Yet remember at least, that with no entire nation have I been so condescending as with thee alone in lavishing this blessing. Therefore, be very careful how thou correspond with it, lest thou render fruitless the love which has been instilled into thee for the divine scriptures, and particularly for the gospels and their exalted doctrines. They are to serve thee as a shining beacon light, and my life shall be thy model for modeling thy own. Take heed how important and necessary it is for thy welfare to attend to this with all diligence, how much pleasure thou canst thereby give to my son and lord, how I shall consider myself obliged anew to treat with thee as a mother and as a teacher. Fear the danger of not attending to the divine calls, for that is the cause of the loss of innumerable souls, since thou receivest so many and so wonderful calls from thy merciful and omnipotent God, how reprehensible will be thy rudeness, how abominable wilt thou make thyself to the Lord, to me and the saints, if thou fail to correspond with them. End of chapter 8